0: Welcome to Farm to Fork, a program dedicated to exploring how food and drink are produced, delivered, and served throughout the Pioneer Valley. In every episode, we speak with some of the brightest lights in the valley's culinary world from gleaners, gatherers, hunters, fishermen, farmers, and packagers, to brewers and restaurateurs, and everyone in between. My name is Jessica, co host Sue Timberlake, and show producer Claire Piazza join me in the studio. Today we'll be talking with Sarah Brown and Felix Lufkin, members of Help Yourself. So Sarah and Felix, how would you describe Help Yourself to someone who has never heard of the organization? Hi,
1: um, I would describe it as public access food forest, um, which means that it's planting the commons. So um, public spaces, like we have a site downtown Northampton um, in the parking lot at, by like the Maplewood shops by Northampton Brewery, Bombay Royale. Um, and it's focusing on edible perennials um, and plants that are pretty hardy and low maintenance and can provide food and hopefully be a bit more resilient as the climate changes and also help create community um, around these kinds of projects. mm
0: mm-hmm. And Felix, what would you say?
2: Yeah, all those things. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Um, Well, I guess when we, well, we'll probably get into how things have changed later. But um, the two main focuses that we have is producing food in public places that would otherwise be kind of just sad lawns or grass, gravel or sand or asphalt so using underused spaces um to produce food and habitat and you know sites for pollinators and ecosystem functions and things like that and also to engage people as sarah said building community many people don't have you know a single square foot of yard to to call their own to gardening and um for those who don't or even for people who have gardens um just seeing uh, public places having biodiverse food-producing sites that beautify a space and provide some harvest, um, I think, is really important as a cultural sort of form of nourishment or medicine.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Sarah, I don't remember seeing a like any kind of signage there at the Maplewood Shops. Um, how, I'm just wondering how folks would know what's going on there, and. Yeah, be able to participate. Or know that they can partake of the food. Yeah, definitely. They choose to.
1: Um that's something we are working on mm-hmm. this year. Um we haven't really had that much regular volunteer work days as we've had this season. Mm-hmm. So now we feel like ready to um, put signs up and we're trying to label the plants and then we can have a sign like welcome to frog town and then also like this is what's ripe now and this is what you can harvest and um, just make it more accessible um people recognize grapes that's always harvested Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Um, oh so those are always taken nice
1: yeah but then like more niche like plants like beach plums are really delicious but people don't really know about them Mm -hmm. so it would be yeah so hopefully we can work on that yeah
0: uh, actually, so so you're saying yours produce fruit. So out of curious, curiosity, so I planted a beech plum uh, little tree. right would you call it? A bush a tree. Uh, like three years ago, it has not grown, I don't think, an inch. Oh. And so oh. I'm just curious, um, you know, what, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I mean, the nursery where I bought it from, um, Amy Pulley said, you know, they... They can take oh. a while to get going, but yeah.
3: Yeah. So what, are, what are your secrets for growing the beach plum? Yeah. we a prairie yep.
2: They're pretty like hard to kill, but they can take a little bit to start um, getting brave enough to kind of go beyond their size that you transplanted them at. Mm-hmm. But as long as they have good sun, they're pretty quick growers. Um, and once they kind of get over that hump, they, they'll kind of i would say in just five or seven or eight years they'll get to be around their maximum height of six to ten feet um if they're in the shade or part shade they could be a little slower and then regarding the fruiting um if they'll need at least two of them to make a good amount of fruit um so if they're not. If they haven't flowered yet, if they're not really of age yet to flower, then they won't make any fruit. But if they're flowering, if and there's only one, you know, it, those flowers won't pollinate. Um,
0: oh, so I need more than one. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not gonna one, get any fruit then. But, but
2: <laughs> um, plant, This is two options for you. You could plant another one, hmm. or you could, um, they are really easy to graft and you could graft a branch from another beach plum onto the same one then it can pollinate itself and that can sound intimidating but Mm -hmm. i'd be more than happy to help you with that and then lastly um you could even cut a nice branch in bloom from one of the gardens in just down the road from you northampton Mm -hmm. and you could put it in a um cup of water like out near your thing and the bees will go between those both and pollinate them all so mm-hmm. don't give Different up options. And if, you know if you don't if you don't have room for more than one you could definitely do the other things
0: mm-hmm. now I never yeah, know how much and, to water it though do, do does it I mean beach plum. you think oh it likes the beach yeah, doesn't really need kind of a lot of like water but
2: desert. they can definitely They're pretty hardy I mean, you're oh. probably not like starving it but I bet you you could give it a little more water than you I know, think. the rain okay. and it might help and you know some mulch to kill the grass those mm-hmm. are kind of the things that i could use
0: yeah okay
1: yeah we had a good year for beach plums because a lot of things weren't doing so well with the drought
2: but mm-hmm. the beach
1: mm-hmm. plums seem to be thriving so and it's hardy. a really like sandy sunny spot that's kind of tough for a lot of plants mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's for sure
2: and actually the, on the note of beach plums if i may mm-hmm. um we didn't start out this gets into design considerations, so tell me if I'm jumping the gun, but um, that wasn't a species we started like using heavily in designs. It just happened to survive better than a lot of the other things, like, for example, apples mm-hmm. um, in those parking lot sites that are really hot because of the asphalt everywhere and really dry, because like that's all sandy fill from when they covered up the train station. Mm -hmm. and really salty because of the salt for snow and ice control that they plow right there so like it was a happy accident that these beach species that love all those things did so well um and then you know said hey this is working let's do more of that Mm
3: -hmm.
0: yeah so perfect example of how gardening is just sort of an experiment and you shouldn't get down on yourself when something doesn't work well because what doesn't work one year will work another or, yeah, you you get happy surprises here and there.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know what a beach plum is, it's like a really tiny, like, I don't know, maybe blueberry or probably bigger than blueberry sized plum with like kind of a big pit and you can find them growing wild, um, like on the coast more. hmm
0: hmm So Sarah and Felix, what are the short-term and long-term goals of Help Yourself?
2: um well on a short term let's say for next year we'd love to um continue and build on our sort of post-covid um drive or sorry build on our post-covid surge of volunteerism um and really kind of consolidate the culture of community involvement and sort of investment in space that the volunteer stewards um, that have been sharing, who've been meeting weekly during the growing season, at least at that um, site in Northampton that Sarah's been doing so awesome at, at doing outreach for and promotion and organizing. And there's so many other sites um, which could benefit from more attention, but aren't quite so big and complex and highly um, kind of uh, prominent in the public eye as that one. So we've been kind of like trying to decide how to allocate the attention and efforts of the volunteers so that it makes the biggest impact in the most important places, but also can g- grow help grow other sites beyond that. So I guess hum- the human element is really the key piece of the puzzle. And um, humans are such a part of these gardens, you know, even though we're not rooted there, um, the stewards who come and do the heavy lifting and the digging and the organizers who inspire them to come and the planning and there's so many different things that um, kind of make any garden work. So I would say um, just building on that fun and kind of emergent culture that is growing and scale that up you know there's so many places that could benefit from that Mm -hmm.
0: so was um i was curious was help help yourself inspired by any other organizations
2: um back in the day actually when like you were more involved and we were sort of exploring other models um we had read i guess that's when like youtube was just starting um had been inspired by a organization called Incredible Edibles. And they started as just a really small little um, neighborhood project in a village in England. And from there, both scaled across their whole town, doing primarily raised be- veggie beds, um, likewise in public places, but also sort of revitalizing the community garden culture, which is actually like way more entrenched in um, at least like the British Isles um, then I think here. Um, and, um, and they also created like a package that other communities could use. And they're not directly like managing other chapters of Incredible Edibles as far as I know. But that sort of like was during the transition town era. And um, they, I don't know, a lot of like chapters emerge and I don't know how they're doing now. It would actually be really interesting to study that. Mm -hmm.
0: And who, so who comes up with the design plans for all the Help Yourself community gardens?
1: Um, I think it's pretty iterative, which we were talking about before um, with, oh, the beach plums are doing well. We can plant more of that. Mm-hmm. um and also just the constraints of the site like what plants make sense in that kind of conditions
3: mm-hmm.
1: Um and also just what we get for free and what gets donated mm-hmm. like you've donated Anna's hyssop this year and mm-hmm. that did really well mm-hmm. um and i also was working for a landscaping company and just getting a lot of like plants left over from that that people that were getting removed and then just taking them over to Frogtown, <laughs> mm-hmm. so those aren't even really like um, particularly special. Like maybe they're just like lilies or irises, but they're still just nice to plant in public spaces. Mm-hmm.
0: So where uh, where are you able to find volunteers for projects, or where have you looked um, thus far?
1: I think a lot of volunteers come to it from some other exposure to um, maybe from like a foraging class or a permaculture design course or something like that, where they start wanting to find more opportunities like this. Um, and I found out about it because I went to Hampshire college and there was a, a a forest garden there that Felix and another friend had worked on. So that was my segue in. And then I took the foraging class with Felix. Um, And started volunteering more regularly Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i think i mean people can find us on like instagram and facebook and the website help yourself edibles Mm -hmm. um but yeah i would say a lot of volunteers find us (laughs) rather Mm -hmm. than us finding the volunteers but hopefully we can yeah do more outreach just to foot traffic once we have signs Mm
2: -hmm. a lot of um hampshire college students as well Mm -hmm. we've been lucky to have a work-study arrangement with the college, and I'd say a good, like, by now, uh, three or four dozen students have had some, like, term of um, work with us, either for meeting community service hours or uh, making, like, a larger project like Sarah or um, just... You know, having it as a paid job. And that's been really helpful. And I think really educational to a lot of people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We are listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, 103.3 FM in Northampton. And we're talking with Sarah Brown and Felix Lufkin, members of Help Yourself. Um, So I was curious, um, what is your secret to sustaining your volunteer groups over the years? I know a lot of organizations are constantly looking for volunteers and just, it's a, it can be a struggle.
1: Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently with um, Lisa Fernandes from the Resilience Hub Mm -hmm. in Portland, Maine, which is kind of like a similar, like public food forest organization. Um, And she was, I forget exactly what she said, but something about how volunteers come for the content and stay for the community. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuck with me. Cause it's like, yeah, maybe when someone shows up because they're curious to try like a medlar or something, but then um, they'll want to keep hanging out. If they're actually having like a good time and they feel like their time is valued and helpful. Um, and yeah, so I guess just good vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's,
0: Actually, uh, yeah, there was one one day when I was delivering uh, more Anna Sisip, uh to Maple Chops. And uh, Sarah, you were running late and a couple of new folks showed up. And so I just started chatting and they were saying, yeah, you know, we're new to the area. And so we figured we'd come out and this was an opportunity to meet new people. But we also enjoy gardening, but we don't have, you know, property land. And so it was just, yeah, the perfect opportunity for them to meet new people, build community and just, yeah, plug themselves in. Uh, and yeah, I feel like they're part of something um, helpful going on. Mm-hmm. So that was great. So where, um, where do you find the materials? You, Sarah, you mentioned uh, plants are often donated. Um, what other materials do you need and where do you usually find those?
1: We've gotten mulch and wood chips donated from different tree companies,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I could spotlight if anyone needs recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stones, we've also gotten donated from a landscaping company, mm-hmm. the scraps. Thanks. Um, and then, yeah, but I, and also some funds come in from, because Help Yourself also has like an educational wing, which has which is called leapfrog programs and that hosts events like the ground gathering, which is like a yearly um, weekend in the fall where there's lots of classes like hide tanning or something like that foraging. And um, so a lot of those funds from classes can go towards the plants and whatever else materials are needed.
0: Okay. So you're saying people could go to the website, see the classes, sign up pay a fee and then those fees go toward materials purchase Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. we also um, we have made an effort at this site in question in in Northampton Frogtown Food Forest to kind of bring it up to the park park level quality um, above the community garden sort of aesthetic so and part of that's been by request of the town and mm-hmm. um we think it'll be more in, kind of enduring and beloved and, and accepted if it even though it's sort of a, a farm if it doesn't look sort of farmy and one of the mm-hmm. things we had sort of were asked to do um was do the, um replace this sort of emergent muddy pedestrian created paths where they would eventually like sort of like average of where everyone would cut the corners to let's say cross this or that chunk of it to get to a crosswalk or something would end up creating a path and that would kill the grass and Mm -hmm. so we um, put in these paving stones which were um, I think you know make it look very nice and and Mm -hmm. official and also cut down on maintenance of the mud and, and grass in the past and those stones came from Um, Goshen stone, just like uh, you know, up the hill on Route Mm Nine, and so that's kind of nice that some of the materials are local, even if they're you know, not from town itself. So, stones from the nearby mountain, and um, plants you know, from other people's gardens sharing them in town, and tree and wood chips from trees, like you know, chopped up, um, you know, in Northampton, too. So, that's kind of nice, um, Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, I know
0: that, um so there's just popped in my brain that some gardeners are concerned about jumping worms. Do either, mm-hmm. are either of you concerned about jumping worms and moving into the area? Someone says they love mulch. And so that's kind of encouraging yeah, them.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm concerned on like a global sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, while we'll also kind of resigned to it because I've seen many jumping worms like straight up in the woods yeah, around the, Amherst the in Northampton, and like there's just no way that yeah. we're gonna be able to stop them yeah, getting pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe like one's own personal garden, maybe, but they seem inevitable at the same time. Mm-hmm. I am hoping that in within some decades, like something will figure out that they're yummy little protein mm-hmm. nuggets mm-hmm. um but it's such a bummer because in some places oh man um like at amethyst brook conservation land in, in amherst where mm-hmm. there's also an a pick your own orchard that um we're sort of helping tend some areas of that forest are have absolutely no leaf litter by the end of the um season like let's say late summer before the leaves drop again in the fall all of last year's leaves have been totally guzzled up by these worms oh. whereas mm-hmm. in other like contexts without the worms they would still be there and i that's got to have some big impact and their their impacts oh, sure. are mm-hmm. kind of severe mm-hmm. um especially because they keep like sucking up mulch mm-hmm all that is to say, I have no idea if they can feasibly be controlled. Um, right. Maybe at a sort of like contained place, like a sort of traffic island garden, mm-hmm. they could actually be prevented from like coming to. At the same time, we're transplanting so many plants and mulch mm-hmm. here and there. It's like impractical to. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. how you'd totally lock it all down. So, yeah, I'm do, not can sure. you
0: describe? I mean, I've never seen one in person, but I've looked at oh. pictures online. Can you describe one to those of us who um, have not seen one in person
2: and th- differentiate it from a thing regular thing brown worm? They look like a basic earthworm. Um, they're a little; they can be a little fatter, mm-hmm. almost like a gummy worm candy. Mm-hmm. And they have a that little, like weird bulge part that now white, kind worm is a little bit paler color, and mm-hmm. then they almost have like an oily appearance but Mm. not that they're worthy to touch and when you pick them up they uh suddenly like sort of writhe around and that's how they get away or something yeah um Mm -hmm. it's not like you see them crawling everywhere it's just the places where they are they sometimes it's shocking it's like hey who raked away all the leaves Mm -hmm. and it was them eating it Mm.
3: Mm.
0: so um Sarah and Felix, what have been the biggest challenges uh, to running Help Yourself?
1: Um, I think. We can we, say Sarah. Yeah, I feel like we touched on like the site challenges, um, mm-hmm. and we also don't have any water there, so we have to like use a hose key and get it from the back of a store, and mm-hmm. or go down to like a pit and fill up some water. So when we're transplanting or planting something, that's a bit annoying.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we also don't have any way to like store tools on site. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then just yeah i guess we talked about like having volunteers and um getting materials um i'm not really sure what Felix do you think any anything else is a big challenge um i guess relationship with like the town
2: and- yeah yeah it's weird mm-hmm. like it's um there's so many different facets to the effort and organization because it has to interface with so many different, um, entities. If, if it running just a single community garden, you know, let's say in a given site, that's a a challenge in and of itself, but this has so many different mini gardens. In some ways it has, that's easy because, Um, you know it's not like a 50 acre farm that has to be managed but the hard part one of the hard parts I think also is you know this site's at a church and that site's at a library and sort of record keeping and tracking human relationships in a sort of um, like art record um, you know how do you how do you make note of all the different people and all these different institutions who have you have to go through to ask, like, can we plant more stuff here? Or someone made a complaint about the stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, because of its sort of decentralized and distributed nature, um, there's so many benefits to that. And then the challenges are sort of managing and tracking and recording information and making sure the right people get the right memos and Mm -hmm. keeping up with, um, you know, different gardens that are geographically spread out and you have to drive between them. And maybe volunteers can easily come to one site like at Town, which is great because it's walkable. There's the bus stop that's right near parking. But getting, you know, a dozen people to come to a, a different site that's, you know, let's say 20 minutes away might be harder. So finding the sort of community Specific to each site is probably the the edge that we can grow into more, and, and not those don't always have to overlap. You know, there could be a, a work crew that comes to a specific school garden and or orchard, and maybe it makes sense for that to be the teachers and students and families, obviously, of the school, and they're not the same people who would necessarily come like a few towns away to the site in Northampton. But that starts to get to be a lot of volunteer management mm-hmm. and event organizing and stuff like that and some some people are gifted at that and others aren't and um, it's something I struggle with. Mm
0: -hmm. So yeah so Sarah you mentioned um, lack of tool or tool storage Um, so years ago actually it was before the pandemic started uh, I know Lisa the current director of Forbes library she reached out to a few people Uh, myself included, and just wanted to bring us together to talk about a tool lending library at the Forbes library. And unfortunately, um, you know, she had recently become the new director. And so I think her priorities um, weren't on that at that point. Um, But I I did point out, you know, Burlington, Vermont had had one for years um, for her to look at as a model. Now I understand Brattleboro, you know, the Brattleboro, Vermont library has one. Um the Northfield transition town group has one. So, you know, if so if Forbes library, I mean that would be fairly close. It'd be nice to be able to grab tool, you know, gardening tools at Forbes, walk down, you know, volunteer and then return the tools.
1: Yeah, that would be amazing. That's a cool idea to reach out.
0: Mm-hmm. So I was curious, um, so Sarah and Felix, what percentage roughly would you say of the edibles in these help yourself gardens gets harvested?
2: Hmm. Um. Inter- very interesting question. And I'd love to like have some actual data about that. I guess if it, I would say um, it depends on type of produce and then it also depends on species. So some things are more popular than others and fruit tend to be way popular than let's say like leaves i would say (laughs) like less than five percent of edible leaves get harvested from the spaces but that's because those are like perennial plants that might be filling many niches like you know ground covers or herbs it's not necessarily a raised bed full of lettuce that's going unharvested it's more like oh people like didn't eat the technically edible ckl or dandelions so those aren't being heavily promoted um, as like technically edible though they clearly are but things like are a little more sexy like the fruit like sarah was mentioning about the beach plums or the grapes and um those by and large get almost stripped clean especially if they're easily recognizable Mm -hmm. Some things are a little weird and atypical or maybe more obscure fruit, like the weird, you know, like the medlar or a quince or um, an aronia. And once people get to know them, um, I think like they sort of could fall in love with them and they definitely become more popular. Like Sarah was organizing these really awesome tastings after different work parties. And that would be a really nice um, sort of, recurring event over the course of the season is like come have a take come taste a thing taste a mountain ash taste a hearty kiwi taste a papa and that could be a really big draw for people and then as they get sort of oriented to these plants i bet you they'd fly off the shelves mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and even the greens we could package them to be more appealing mm-hmm. Add like a yeah we could even harvest them mm-hmm. yeah and like
2: <laughs> box them up you know for takeout so to speak
1: know <laughs> yeah, or just like have potlucks with mm-hmm. pesto of certain greens or something and yeah, mm-hmm. so i feel like even the those herbs and greens they could fly off the shelves too
0: Yeah, we share. well i'll mention that after we need to take a station break but please stay with mm-hmm. us because when we return we'll continue our discussion with sarah brown and felix lufkin Members of Help Yourself, you're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM, an independent nonprofit community-run station in Northampton, Massachusetts. The show streams on valleyfreeradio.org, where you can also find our program schedule and become involved with the station. It's
4: summer. It's summer, Tune into Valley Free Radio. Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. for Reggae Down, a reggae music show with Rasta Paul as host and reggae music from all over the world, from Jamaican to Iceland. Reggae music is listened to, popular in the Rastafarian culture, and values that apply to all people. That's Reggae Down, Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. on Valley Free Radio. We love the reggae. We love the dancehall. We love the the music. We love the music. Thank you, River Valley Co-op, for your support of Valley Free Radio. River Valley Co-op specializes in fresh, local, and organically grown foods, fresh produce, meat and seafood, cheese and dairy, bread and baked goods, and an in-house deli, along with a wide selection of bulk foods and a large selection of natural and organic grocery items. Owned by its customers, although everyone is welcome, co-op ownership is not required. Open daily, 8 to 10, 330 North King Street, Northampton. Phone 413-584-2665, rivervalleymarket.com co-op thank you river valley co-op for your support of free speech in the pioneer valley
0: my name is jessica sue timberlake co-host and show producer claire piazza joined me in the studio we've been talking with sarah brown and felix lufkin members of help yourself Um, so i was curious what do you think um, is preventing more pedestrians from helping themselves to the edibles in the public help yourself gardens
3: I
1: think our lack of signs, which we will work on (laughs) ASAP. Um, And I guess similarly to maybe even if there was a sign, people might not feel comfortable harvesting or they might not know how to prepare it. So I guess also relatedly hosting events or like a workshop or just bringing some food that's using what people harvest from the garden and showing ways you can prepare it Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and
1: how it could be like integrated into your life.
0: Yeah, I personally find it funny that, um, you know, I used to have community garden plots and I would always hear stories of renters who had had uh, their community garden plot food stolen. um, And yet, (laughs) and these, these public help yourself gardens that are saying, come, you know, harvest, eat whatever you want. People are not helping themselves. Uh, which is very really interesting, um, yeah. but I was going to mention. So, Sarah, I mean, years, you know, many years ago, when I was um, in the Vermont Anti Hunger Corps and volunteered to work with, you know, various community food, um, like, you know, food bank and community meal sites, it was often true that if faced with some, you know, vegetable that they had never seen before, clients would be um, very reluctant and would not take them. And so, um, a lot of the coordinators started introducing recipe cards. Um, and they found that if, you know, they offered a recipe of what to do with this particular new veggie, um, their clients were more likely to use it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to get over, get past when people are not familiar with a certain food.
3: Right.
0: So what is uh, the geographic reach of the help yourself project?
2: Um We have made connections with and planted at lots of different places. Um, a good eighty-something locations, most of which are not massive um, orchards. You know, it could just be a tree or two, um, but many are you know sizable, uh, ranging east to um, kind of like Quabbin. You know, a berry. Um, west to Cummington. That's a good, you know, hour and a half on, on Route 9. And then north and south from um, Turner's and Greenfield south to Springfield. Um, the main areas of, well, it's interesting because the areas that have the most potential for like planting from a plant's perspective are more rural areas, you know, where there's like lots of room to plant stuff. And then the place where there's the most people are urban areas. And I think where there's the most cultural potential to make an impact both on people's ability to harvest free and organic and local food and to be most inspired by sort of regenerative, um, ways of planting the commons those are more urban areas particularly like less affluent ones Mm -hmm. um so it's there's a lot of potential pretty much anywhere on earth for regenerative agriculture and we've tried to find a balance between um urban and rural and more affluent and less privileged um uh, planting sites. Mm-hmm. Most of the by by like statistics, most of the sites are public schools. Um, other others would be institutions like um, libraries or churches. Some of which are sort of municipal, like a library. Others are other um, private nonprofits, like a church or. And then, in some cases, just uh, any entity that would take a tree like you know a Chinese restaurant or something like that so um I'll, yeah it's easy to see the potential in a given place, and then um the harder parts are how can it be how can it become known to people as a as a public place that can be harvested from and participated in mm-hmm.
0: So, um, yeah, was, I was hoping that, you know, either each of you or um, one of you could describe a couple of other projects um, besides the Maplewood shops and talk about what steps it took to create those particular gardens.
2: Um, sure. Well, uh, in Holyoke, for example, um, there is this speaks to sort of the relative ease um, that one could start a public access orchard, depending on the or with the the factor in question being like, who owns this space? And in Holyoke, uh, where I used to live, um, my landlord at the time had a number of properties, you know, across the neighborhood, one of which was just a vacant lot. And um, that's at the corner of Oak Street and Appleton Street. And um he knew you know i was into plants and we got to talking and i sort of pushed him and he offered that we could plant stuff there and and that was as easy as making one um like convincing one person you know there wasn't a whole board or council or voting or presentation or really anything um and that was like uh the extreme of ease is typically a privately owned thing with someone and someone who um holds the permission or power you know and they get inspired and then they say great um and that is a community orchard called la Coquille, and you know it has its challenges um it's fully planted with pears and peaches and the trees are just not big enough to really be fruiting yet so no one like would pay it a second mind or thought until I just say in a few years, you know, then it would be a place that would be of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, others, in and, and, and contrast, um, there could be a site like where, you know, this or that committee had to meet and you'd have to go in and make these presentations and um, it would just be a little bit harder to... Um, uh, Convince or, or 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 find a compromise between um, different agencies, and that gets especially hard when it's a uh, publicly owned property like the town of Northampton or Greenfield. Particularly when there's like wetlands or conservation have involved, then you know, goodness, there's you got to meet with this faction and that faction, and they might not all have um, the same ideas or agree within a given government body. And, let alone like be on the same page with each other. So those town level projects, like let's say, um, you know, uh, there's plenty of spots in Northampton that I'd love to see be massive public food forests, like in the meadows or the old state hospital, things like that, would just take a lot of groundwork to build a sort of um, publicly shared vision of the town and say, okay, we see that this is, good and important and we will support it um so things can range in 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 easiness to organize from from extremely easy to more complicated And <laughs> typically the more people involved the bigger production it is mm-hmm. um, but at the same time once it's approved by a let's say like you know the dpw and city council then it's harder to change you know because when it comes down to if it was one person in charge or who holds the power you know a given landlord could say ah eh, like i sold the place and now it's going to be bulldozer i'll change my mind and so there's pros and cons to that mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. so have uh so have either of you had the opportunity to do any coalition building uh, with other groups while working for help yourself
1: Um, I think we would we've done some and it would be great to do more Um, I think it could be on a few different like related axes and one would be other projects doing public landscaping Mm -hmm. Um, like I just started I just moved to Greenfield from living in Northampton Eastampton and there's the Greening Greenfield group which I just Mm -hmm. started to participate in and they have a lot of public pollinator sites and they have great signs <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and also, yeah. So sharing resources with them or sharing volunteer days. And, and then awesome. also um, local harmony is like another public landscaping um, they did in front of hungry ghost and crafts Avenue, which is a meadow like down the street from Frogtown in Northampton. Mm-hmm. Um, so we already have a relationship with them and some permaculture pollinator nurseries or native plant nurseries they can share plants with us um and i guess yeah i guess there's like the umass permaculture um students and other youth groups that's another good those would be more groups to tap into Mm
3: -hmm.
1: that would be interested that's what comes to mind for me
0: that's a lot Uh, Sarah, do any of, um, you mentioned pollinator-friendly plants. Uh, Do most of the gardens have pollinator-friendly plants or only a small percentage? And if so, why?
1: Um, I would say that's definitely a goal to have more, um, and especially because it can do double as being really good for pollinators and also like beautiful blooms that people can, recognize flowers as a garden where they might not recognize like a a bush that's not making fruit at that time Mm -hmm. um so I think we want to plant more pollinator more for pollinators um and we already have um plants that they like like thyme and anise hyssop Mm -hmm. and um cup plant which is a cool tall sunflowery looking plant that um the leaf joins with the stem and makes like a little cup um that can hold water <laughs> and it's good for insects and amphibians.
0: Cool. You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, W X O J L P one oh three point three FM in Northampton. We're talking with Sarah Brown and Felix Lufkin, members of Help Yourself. Um, so I was curious to, um, or what is usually involved, um, when you have a volunteer work day, Sarah, just in case, uh, people want to know what they're in for, if they sign up.
1: Um, I would say it can totally range to whatever comfort or experience level. So open to just people coming and hanging out and touring the garden, maybe mm-hmm. just like picking up some trash if that's what they're up for, mm-hmm. or if you really want to like be shoveling and like moving mulch around and more heavy duty stuff um yeah so people just kind of decide what they want to do there's Mm -hmm. some options and usually it's like normal gardening stuff weeding transplanting planting mulching edging (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, so which help yourself garden project has been each of your yours favorites so far and why
2: um
1: no I'm curious what you'll say
2: (laughs) oh I would certainly say the those central parking lot sites in Northampton um they were you know they were the first ones that um you know we started and I don't live there now but when we did start there I lived just a stone's throw from that parking lot and um it was so amazing to sort of, you know, um, well, go and work there at all hours, way outside the volunteer days, and sort of like see this ever expanding um, garden gr- growing from our shared efforts. And it really changed my mind, um, our perspective or, or about what's possible, both what's possible in, like, life to to make a change, even if it's, like, pathetic and tiny, like just turning a small grassy thing into a garden. Um, But that such little things can be, um, especially in the public, um, so, like, powerful to so many people and so many tiny little creatures and plants that suddenly have this home merely because, like, you know some people talked about stuff and then dug a hole in the ground and changed the ecosystem it really showed me the power that people have to both make transformation within culture within things that we think are sort of set in stone and also in ecology and create ecosystems that are abundant and productive that were previously you know the opposite also because of human decision and doing those things show me that when we have um when we when people can relate to a shared communal space in a way that empowers us to be caretakers over and decision makers of this um like wild landscape that we share even though in this century that landscape is like a bike path or something that it can make us feel um part of the of, part of the planet part of the terrain part of the land you know if we don't have decision-making powers and we're able to like get sweaty and dirty and like eat stuff from right there where we go by every day you know on walking to work or something we don't have those connections or experiences we don't really have a connection with like the shared space and that totally changes how we see things so just you know helping to start and tend and you know expand that original broad project really like cracked open my sort of sense of um of how we can belong to the land in a in a, or not in a way based on how we relate to it.
0: Mm -hmm. And you, Sarah, which project?
1: (laughs) Well, Felix really went so meta, which (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) because I I think that is, yeah, some of the coolest stuff about what Help Yourself is doing is um, because we think of like public spaces as maybe being like maintained by the government or employees. And it's like really cool to think of public spaces as serving the people and being created by the people who are there mm-hmm. locally mm-hmm. um and i guess like a specific project that i was excited about was just um some of the stonework and making some paths and um this little stone dust circle we just like dug out a little flat area and now that's been our gathering space when we have volunteer work meetings and i yeah i think making more gathering spaces would be fun
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Well, we're, yeah, we're getting uh, down to the end of the hour, but Sarah, you, I wanted to touch upon another topic because Sarah, you mentioned that you help with gleaning projects in the area. So what is a gleaning project and how often uh, do you volunteer for those?
1: Oh yeah. Um, Gleaning is, for anyone who doesn't know, is harvesting free food that's left over in the field from farms. And I've been gleaning with my friend who Works at a farm in Amherst, and then and setting up events for that, and then also gleaning with this organization called Rachel's Table, and they're based in Springfield, but they glean from farm, farms all over. Um, and I got and I was gleaning maybe like once a month earlier in the summer, but then by the end of the this season, like a few times a week. Um, and I really like gleaning. It's just a cool way to redistribute produce, and farming is pleasant when you're not really doing it full time. And <laughs> right,
0: it's hard work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So where where does the so obviously some of the food goes to Rachel's table? You've oh, well, Rachel's with...
3: table
1: um, just, re- just has a partner agencies, and mm-hmm. so like the Survival Center or they redistribute. I see. Yeah, so. Um, and it switches kind of depending where the farm is or like mm-hmm. the time it's being harvested or if you gave like a bunch of carrots last week then maybe they don't want any more carrots and you should mm-hmm. give it some else mm-hmm.
0: so. <laughs> so how um, Felix and Sarah how can our listeners get involved with help yourself uh, or a local gleaning project um,
1: the gleaning is there's Rachel's table and The gleaning part of it is called Via's Harvest and Rachel's Table, Mm Springfield.org. And I think they're going to revamp the website a bit because the gleaning part of it is new. It's always been, it's been doing like food recovery for 30 years, but the gleaning I think is um, expanding recently. Mm -hmm. And there's another gleaning project in um, Greenfield. So I almost would say, just talk to me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then help yourself is on Instagram, Facebook and website. Um, help yourself Help yourself edibles is the Instagram and Facebook as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah and Felix, uh, we have about a minute left. Um, Sarah, how do people contact you directly? Do you have any contact information you want to share? And then Felix, any last, uh, nuggets to throw out to our listening audience?
2: oh just so thank you so much for having us on Um, sure and there's got to be people out there who wondered what the heck those gardens were and Mm -hmm. um how they could come either plant some stuff or taste a tasty berry or even come learn things make some friends or bring home plants and you know helps start a little garden at your own house um there's so many ways to get involved in, in in really in so many different towns not just northampton um that connecting via the website um would be wonderful and will help find a place near you that you could be a volunteer steward um and come to know and, and befriend and help to flourish mm-hmm.
0: and sarah do you have any last um
1: just you can reach out s-a-r-a-g-e-r brown at (laughs) Mm -hmm. gmail.com if if you're interested in any of this stuff or through the website
0: cool we'd like to thank our guests sarah brown and felix lufkin members of help yourself you may find additional information about farm to fork on valley free radio's website valleyfreeradio.org To listen to archived shows of earlier guests, um, visit our podcast site at farmtofork.pine, so P-I-N-E, cast, C-A-S-T dot C-O. Our theme song, Sometimes I Wonder Where My Food Comes From, was written by Scraggly Dan and the Stragglers for this Farm to Fork radio program and performed by artists. This Farm to Fork show will re-air this Thursday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Every Tuesday before our Farm to Fork show, you can tune into the Enviro show from 6 6 to 7 p.m. here on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM. Hosts Glenn and Dio, WXOJ's in-house tree-hugging dirt worshippers like to say, remember, listen to your mother. In the memorable Mm -hmm. words of the late, great Ed Cotton, friend to the elms and all trees, we must preserve this planet for future generations. Preserve this miracle that has been provided for us by nature. You can check out the Enviro Show blog at enviroshow the com. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for Twilight's Poetry Pub with host Tommy Twilight.